Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. I'm Pete Wright, and you need me on the bridge? You got me on the bridge, Nelson. (laughs) That's right, your favorite place. Today, we are talking about Minute 33, which begins with Agent Romanoff meeting Captain Rogers and ends with machinery in motion. Joining us on the show today, it is Will Freeland, a.k.a. Silver Dreamer on Twitch TV, and one of the voices on the Hype is My Superpower podcast. Hello, Will. Hello. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yay! Oh, we are thrilled to chat with you about this. Um, The first thing that I wanted to ask you is, uh, is there a particular reason that you picked this, uh, the next set of minutes? Oh, man. Um, To kind of echo... Pete's enthusiasm of the helicarrier. I just really loved the scene when I first watched it. Uh, yep. <laughs> yes. It's such yes, a good Because there is magic yeah. in seeing things carrying other things. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's just so fun. It was it, to, to see, like, you know, the first uh, five movies, we get like human sized, uh, craziness and cool things from the comics introduced into the MCU. Um, you know, with the exception of like Red Skull's giant bomber plane and like, yeah, and stuff like that. But then you have one of the most iconic Marvel vehicles (laughs) in all of their comics. You've got like the X-Men's Blackbird. And then for Avengers, you have the Helicarrier. And then we get onto this aircraft carrier and i'm like oh this is this i mean i guess <laughs> this, this all works. we're gonna do in this movie i guess this it? works <laughs> and then and then at the end of the minute when the engines start moving and you're just like oh okay mm-hmm. <laughs> this is gonna be fun <laughs> You know, that's actually a really interesting perspective. And I, I wonder how many people, when this scene started, when we first see the Quinjet come in and land on this aircraft carrier, which looks, I mean, it looks okay. Yes, it's, it's kind of a helicarrier because it's Marvel. It's the Avengers. It's got this like double runway thing that's going on mm-hmm. with these multiple decks. There's something different about it and bigger about it that makes it feel like, okay, this feels like something from the comics. Oh, but it's not flying. It's just sitting in the ocean. Yeah. Well, maybe that's for the next movie. It's like it's almost <laughs> like they're setting it up in a way where it's an interesting hint mm-hmm. at what we're going to get, only to give it to us like a minute and a half later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it. Uh, it's also like one of uh, it's the first big Lego set that I ever bought with my own like adult, adult move adult money. Um, nice. Uh, yeah, it's a. Just under three thousand piece Lego set uh, came out Ooh. in like 20, 2013, 2014. Right after this movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I love it. It was the first, you know, the first like bound book instruction booklet. <laughs> um, sure, yeah. And uh, so, like, as a guy who my Twitch entire Twitch profile is building model sets. Uh, that that one is like near and dear to my heart also so i just kind of full circle for choosing these minutes oh so cool yeah that's that's fantastic and interestingly that 
also has the number 64 on it. And again, I just, I wonder what it was about 64 that they wanted to have on the side of this, but it's, is a very cool. Yeah, I feel like there's an Easter egg we're missing somewhere because if if everything that flies in Shield is named sixty four, <laughs> it's numbered sixty four. <laughs> I don't know. Very strange. All right. So before we really get to talk about the helicarrier part of the helicarrier, which we'll talk about probably tomorrow, since today ends as things start shifting. I mean, it's a good setup for it. But what we have here, this is where we are finally getting more of our characters meeting. At this point, we already, as far as Avengers, our core team of six, as far as who knows each other, we know that Natasha and Clint have a relationship. They know each other already. We have seen Natasha go and meet Bruce in in Kolkata. And that's kind of it. Like, uh, you know, nobody has met Steve yet other than Fury. And same thing with uh, with Iron Man. Well, no, I guess Iron Man and Natasha know, knew each other from Iron Man 2. Now we're finally getting Steve into the mix. And so this is where we actually have our next set of Avengers meeting each other and bringing us closer to actually forming that team. This is where Steve and Natasha finally get to meet what do you two think of the relationship i know we don't get a lot of it in this scene but over the course of the franchise what do you two think of the relationship that we end up getting between these two characters i conceptually i kind of find it interesting because until you know until we get the black widow movie basically you have kind of the two sides of the coin that is shield represented uh between steve and natasha like you have the public facing uh, Steve, that shield is here to protect America and yada, yada, yada. But then you also have Natasha, the super spy who also works for shield, who does all the black ops, uh, type stuff. And, uh, it's fun seeing the two of them go on the same mission, but have very different methods and very different, um, uh, uh, how they, how they interact with either the bad guys, the public, or their teammates. Um, it's very distinctive, but they're both, quote-unquote, just humans. <laughs> um, one with a super soldier serum, but like they can't fly. They don't have uh, a fancy suit of armor. Um, they don't have lightning godly powers and stuff. They're just trying to keep up with these demigods that have assembled in New York. Um but the way the two of them interact, it's it's always it's always seemed like I don't know if reverence is the right word, but like they they openly respect what the other brings to the table that you don't typically see with some other two character dynamics uh, with the team. I kind of like that. Yeah, and I love how polite he is, <laughs> right? He's a gentleman in this little walk and talk, right? That And, it, you know, when he, they're having banter about vintage cards, and he's legitimately surprised. And uh, he, I, I just feel like this is, um, this is a meeting of humans, right? This is a meeting of, of kind people who, are join, who have joined in this crazy endeavor, and two of the three of them really don't know why they're there. Right. Like ultimately <laughs> they, they really don't understand completely what the whole scope of the story is. And I, I, I really, I, th- there's this kind of banality to it that I find really enjoyable in a movie that is just so full of dramatic and narrative peaks. Mm-hmm. 
their relationship, uh, it's, it's interesting the way that it plays. And I, I like the way that you, um, look at that, Will, as far as like the two sides of shield, the kind of the public facing one and kind of the more, uh, the one with maybe more ulterior motives or the spy that goes in. Um, I, and there is that element there that I think is really interesting, but the way that you're describing it also, Pete, like they both also are, are humans. And that is something that I think we, uh, it's nice to see in the Marvel franchise where these characters feel like real people. And I think that what Chris Evans brings to Steve and the way that he's written is, is, I mean, yes, he is a super soldier, but he also is of this era of the fifties where he's always using his manners and he just talks kindly and, and doesn't boast, you know, and, and I, I find that so interesting about him. And um, it makes for an interesting dynamic between these two. And I think, I like the way that Natasha kind of plays with that over the course of the films as well, where she kind of, you know, uses that to kind of needle him a little bit. It's kind mm-hmm. of fun. Yeah, for sure. Now, I have a question for you, too. I have a little quiz, actually. Um, I, I thought this was kind of interesting because um, there are several of the Avengers who have been in non-MCU films together. There's three pairs, oh, and I'm curious if the two of you can... Name what name those three pairs and films that they were in together. Wow. Oh no. <laughs> uh wasn't what uh, Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans have been in another movie, right? Yes, they are one of our pairs, and the, they're the reason that I brought this up because the two of them have actually been in two movies together but, before but, but, the Marvel franchise started. Before the Marvel franchise. Yes. Damn. Uh wow. That's <laughs> tough. Cause like, like I only know Chris Evans from like before this, it was like Johnny Storm and Fantastic Four, uh Jake Weiler from Not Another Teen movie, and uh whatever the guy's name is in uh Scott Pilgrim. I know he's done other movies, <laughs> but that's all I've got. Well, and he did that other comic book movie. What was the comic book movie that we talked about that he was in? The um, not the oh, other guys. It was the the losers. Uh, the losers. He was mm. also yeah. She was did. not in that. No, she was not in that. It was um, okay. I'll just tell you the two of them. It is the nanny diaries. Yes. The guy yes. guy next door that she's interested in, and then they were in the perfect score together, where they were high yeah. school. I think I that's the high school that. kids where they're trying to steal the SAT score. Or, oh know, test or yeah. Okay. 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 So they're one of the pairs. They're one. One of the pairs. There are two more pairs. Now we're talking I, about Ruffalo and Johansson. No, no, no. Of any of the six, I should clarify. It's any oh. of the six. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, it is another one of the members of that pair Chris Evans? No. Chris Evans, nor, neither Chris Evans nor Scarlett Johansson are in any other movies before this or after that are non MCU with any of the six core team. Well, it's got to be Samuel Jackson, right? Samuel Jackson's been in everything, but he's not one of the six. It's oh, it's only oh. the six superheroes. Goodness. Yeah. What about Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo? They're one. Okay, but what were one. the movies? <laughs> it's just one movie. Tropic Thunder. It was not Tropic Thunder. Nah. <laughs> 2007. Wait. Um, uh, I, I think I have this one because we've done it on the show, right? We, we've it's, done it um, on the next reel. We've done it on the next uh, reel. 
it's not it's the movie that I always don't think of because I'm thinking of seven. It's uh, uh Fincher, Zodiac. It's Zodiac. 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 Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh where where Robert Downey Jr. works at the paper and Mark Ruffalo is a detective. Which puts okay. Renner and um no, it's it's uh, and I I misspoke earlier when I said Scarlett Johansson is not in another pair. She is in this last pair. Ah, and it, and it's Renner and Johansson. No, I'll tell you, Renner nor Hemsworth, neither of them have been in anything uh, with any of the six other Hemsworth than Marvel films. Hasn't been, huh? That's yeah, because this was like his breakout role, kind of. Yeah, yeah, kind of guess. And I think with with Renner also. I'm going to tell you, Pete, this is one of your favorite movies that you're forgetting. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson's in it. Scarlett Johansson and one of the others that isn't. I'll just tell you, it's Robert Downey Jr. What movie are the two of them in together? Oh, my. Scarlett Johansson and Robert Downey Bit, Jr.? Oh, Iron Man 2. part for Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, it's because it's uh, Chef. God, I love yeah. Chef. Oh yeah. my God! Yes, oh. absolutely. She's the yeah, another Jan- John Favreau again. Yeah. Oh, what a great, great pick! Oh, context is everything. <laughs> this these kinds of games break my brain. You are a bad person. <laughs> well, I just I thought it was interesting because it's yeah. interesting to see like when do these people work together outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and mm-hmm. it's very rare. At least this core six. You know, I'll, it, it took so much. It's actually a lot of work to do that. So uh, I will try to do more of these quizzes, though, because I do find it interesting. Uh, it to is see when a lot of work. work together. Yeah. yeah, especially when you get into the non-Marvel flag. That is, it's that's impossible to search. Like they're just Marvel's just so big in their CV. Well. IMDB does have a fantastic collaboration tool where you can enter two actors' names and it will tell oh, you what they have been in together. Unfortunately, cool. um, it, it takes, I mean, this was six people, which, I mean, you know, when, when you uh, look at the, um, the odds do... of that, it's like, I, I think there were 15 total uh, searches that I ended up having to do, uh, yeah. which isn't a ton. But once you start throwing, okay, let's look at Samuel L. Jackson, well, then Both. I'm adding six more searches yeah, onto yeah, that. Yeah. And it just kind of, yeah, balloon. It just keeps growing. So, but I'll try to do that periodically because I do think it's fun to see as they as they grow. All right, I have a serious question about the helicarrier, though. Why do the workers have just white and yellow jackets that don't seem to have any sort of shield branding on them? Well, they're contractors. <laughs> they're all, <laughs> they all work for like what is it the the airline that like provides all the food? No, like no, that. they're like commercial airline food prep guys. They. That's all they do. <laughs> I can't remember the That's name of the That's quite the, the non-disclosure agreement that they have to sign. Yeah, by the way, you're going to be flying on a, a secret yeah. invisible government. <laughs> but don't uh, worry. Tomorrow you'll be in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Working at the college cafeteria. <laughs> I just, I, I laughed so much because it instantly took me back to uh, our last film that we talked about, Captain America, the first Avenger, because Hydra had his branding on everything. Right. And it's like here, it's like S.H.I.E.L.D. has either learned nothing from hydra or as absolutely learned everything from hydra where you really want to minimize how much you're putting your your branding out there because you know what you probably should keep it secret to a certain extent for sure yeah my no prize <laughs> for that would be that as long as there's a uh, a standing rule in shield that if they are 
outside. They have to be in disguise. Oh, okay. oh no, that's good. I'm a, I'm okay adapting to that. That's <laughs> yeah, fine. I like it. That's like fine. It. My headcanon is officially updated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have this introduction between these two, Agent Romanoff and Captain Rogers. And then Natasha has this line to Coulson. They need you on the bridge. They're starting the face trace. Um, I know we're going to find out what that is in a few minutes. But I have to say, like, th- having a spy throughout a line like that, it just makes it sound so covert and shady. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Did either of you think of anything suspicious where they're like, oh, we're doing a face trace? Like, what? Well, of course, that's it's a horrible thing that they're doing right now. And it's especially here 10, you know, 12 years later, like we're we are dealing with so much about privacy and connected data and metadata and the things that identify us. And here they're talking so cavalierly about doing a face trace from a from this helicarrier. And I think that's a I think that's important to to note, like we have evolved, you know, in terms of law enforcement doing this more, not less. Like it's not not like it's getting any easier on us yeah and we'll talk about it more in a couple minutes once we get onto the bridge but it is one of those things that when you hear them say it it's like oh that sounds that sounds shady it doesn't sound like (laughs) a good thing to be doing good guys have to do bad things sometimes that's right that's right (laughs) is that what it is (laughs) they're doing it but i feel guilty about it when i go to bed at night (laughs) uh now, okay, I've got another question. So we've got this whole thing. We, were, I mean, Pete, you mentioned earlier the whole thing with Colson and fanboying and all this stuff with trading cards. Sure. Do you think, I mean, Steve had to be aware that there were trading cards out about him. I mean, there were comics, there were, I mean, he was in movies, there was all these different things that he was a part of. I, I feel like trading cards had to be something he was aware of, right? Well, I mean, he's only been out, what, is he, what did we decide? Uh, six months oh no i mean when he was in 1945 like that had to be a thing that was going on back then you think there were already i mean he was we he was already in the comic books maybe the surprise though andy maybe the surprise is just that the trading cards survived maybe he doesn't expect that the trading cards would still be around 70 years later right this would be one of the first things from his time period that is still around that he's come across since thawing out right it, it It is interesting. And I guess that's why we have the vintage comment, right? Yeah. This whole thing, they're vintage, giving us a hint that, yeah, don't you know, people collect things from the past now, which <laughs> yeah. I suppose might be new to him. <laughs> it was also disposable at the time. Like, yeah, you read the comic and then you just throw it away, right? Why are you saving it? You've already read it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Steve and Bruce now. So this is, well, before we get to that, why why is Bruce acting this way? Yeah. We, we we cut to him. It's it's so peculiar the way he's behaving here. Any thoughts? He's not a well man. I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was I mean cuz in direct comparison to like how Edward Norton portrayed Bruce Banner, it, this felt like such a huge shift just cuz all of a sudden he's like Awkward and squirrely. I don't know. I guess it, you could argue it really any direction you want, but he, he's nervous, I guess. You know, like he's spent all this time running away from the military slash shield. And uh, now here he is getting recruited by them. Your worldview is going to shift a little bit. 
Yeah, I I guess I think that's a I think that's not a like a non-trivial part of it, right? That he is and he is on this thing where I, I just feel like every one one of the things that Ruffalo does really well is convey that sense of constant dread mm-hmm. that the next scenario in which he finds himself is going to be the one where he, you know, hulks out. And I think there's something really brilliant about his anxiety coming through and the way his fingers work and his shoulders work and the way he's constantly at risk of being walked over. And the fact that everybody risks walking over him like he is invisible as Bruce Banner. And that's a that's a real choice. Like, that's a strong choice for this character to play not only the brilliant scientist, but this the, the just completely paralyzed introvert that he can't be recognized as taking up space in public, right? Like he's, and, and that is, that makes for an even more interesting contrast between, you know, when he jekylls and hides. Like that is, I think that's really compelling. And I think we have progressively less and less of those choices that Ruffalo makes over the course of subsequent films. So here, I'm I'm all for it. I think he's, he's kind of playgrounding it. Yeah, I, I think there is something very intriguing about the way he's performing it. And we saw a hint of this in Kolkata when he's running with the little girl. And then there's that military vehicle that drives by and he kind of turns away and ducks from them. I think there's this aversion to authority and probably military people with guns because they are the sort that trigger him where he is very hesitant to be in a situation where he has to engage in even the slightest of ways. And it's, I guess what strikes me about this shot is it's just constructed in such a funny way because he's like clearly there to look at this plane, which again, this is one of those fantastic, uh, the, the, uh, Dassault Dornier alpha jets that, that is sitting here. Um, he's looking at the plane and then he turns around to like walk away. And there happens to be two, um, shield agents in like their full military regalia walking by. And that's what kind of like, puts him in a situation where he has to back up quite a bit suddenly because he doesn't want to be in a situation where he's even brushing up against them. It's like such a weird aversion. Um, it's shot funny, but I, I, I think to your point, I can buy into his reasoning. Yeah. That's my take. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see that again very shortly. And so it's, it's an interesting Thing that they play over the course of the film. Uh, Will, what do you think of, uh, like, I mean, Pete brought up, like, the way that Ruffalo is playing it here in this film and then how it changes a little bit in subsequent films. What's your take on Hulk and the character progression over the course of the films? Do you, do you have a sense, do you have a preference for it here or how he evolves or what do you think? Oh, that's a good question. Well, okay, so I'm not a fan of Professor Hulk because I kind of miss the battle between the two that adds a a really interesting dynamic that you can easily play with on screen where you basically have two characters in one body and like, show me that. I think that's really intriguing, really interesting. I think though, and this is kind of more of a recent thing that I've started to um, latch on to, I guess. Uh, This is kind of, the the progression where they took Hulk to eventually have this Professor Hulk is, I feel like, a necessity for Hollywood and not something... There, there are things that you can do in comics that you just can't easily portray in, uh, in movies. Pr- primarily, 
what you see in every comic is like narration boxes <laughs> um, that show the inner thought process of a character. And a lot of the depth of Bruce Banner and the Hulk and the other Hulks, like his uh, multiple identities that he has inside, are scenes in his uh, mind and his inner dialogue with each other and how he analyzes both the situation and why he thinks that he's better for the situation versus the Hulk is better for the situation. And that thought process, you can't do in a Hollywood movie film, at least we haven't seen it yet, um, outside of like Into the Spider-Verse. And I came across this problem with the Captain Marvel movie, which I'm not going to dive too far into because that is way down the line. But um, (laughs) (laughs) a little bit. One of my favorite things about the Captain Marvel comic is her internal dialogue and how she um, assesses situations and how she like tries to um, hold back or um, throttle her own power as to not break the person that she's fighting. And like, you can sometimes see those kinds of situations happen on actors' faces if they've been directed well, but those kinds of scenes are usually saved for slower dramatic movies with less dialogue where that's like an aspect of the movie or like the main thing about the movie and not like a scene here where bruce just happens to be being lost in his head um looking at the the um the the jet in front of him and starting to walk over because it's like oh wait i need to catch up with steve oh wait there's these these two soldiers walking by let me get out of the way like that mess of inner thoughts we don't get to see and so uh ruffalo has to like portray that here on screen and and to pete's i'm 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 here with pete's point of just it, it is great to see, but it's also one of those things that it's five seconds <laughs> of a scene. You have to really, you really have to sit and think about it or, you know, watch a Marvel movie minute to um, really <laughs> kind of take a lot away from that. <laughs> you know, I, I think you're, I think you're exactly r- right in, uh, insofar as you agree with me. And I would like to level up that, uh, you know, you want to, you want to look at a property, another property that actually I think did it very, very well in terms of fidelity to the comic and giving us the characters in her voice. It's She-Hulk. Like if there Absolutely. was ever an adaptation that just nailed that experience, it's, it's Tatiana Maslami in, in, in She-Hulk. I think that was just written beautifully to showcase such a wonderful comic uh, experience. Definitely. And that's a hard one to pull off um, in in these more, we'll quote, quote unquote, serious stories. Like this is an actual narrative piece. Like She-Hulk, even in the comics, is very meta-referential, and they're clearly having fun with the form of the comic, of everything they could do in there. And it works so well for that particular story. And, and it would be interesting to see them trying to incorporate that in some of these um, other films. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to see that. And I mean, to your point, I mean, there have been Hulk comics where you go into Hulk's head and you have Bruce and Hulk and other variations of Hulk all kind of arguing and competing with each other for uh, who's going to get to take the lead, you know, and there are some interesting things that they've played with in comics that, I mean, they could potentially do that in a, in a movie, but to your point, it's like, it's pushing it into a different space that, um, I don't know, maybe audiences aren't ready to bite off on, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Especially at this point. And so this is why we have this little moment. Yeah, especially in 2012. It might be a little different for Phase 5 and 6, but... Well, it's a, it's an interesting moment that we have here. And it brings, again, more characters together. Now we have Steve and, and Banner together as they have their little conversation. I, I like the way that it plays here. And again, to your point about the way that Steve behaves with Natasha, Pete, again, you have this sense of him being kind of respectful and, and the way that he speaks is just so genuine when when steve says word is you can find the cube and banner says is that the only word on me and then steve in that very matter of fact way the only word i care about i i love the way that that banter plays and you know we were just complaining about the conversation between loki and the other in our minutes before this and how it just feels there's something really written about the way that those two characters play then you have this, and you have two characters who just feel so authentic. That, like, I buy everything that they're saying here. Completely. Uh, and and some of it might just be, um, it, you know, we're looking at human faces doing the work of communicating with one another on screen. And the last minute, we're looking at Loki with those ridiculous horns on his head. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for the horns, but they're ridiculous. <laughs> Talking to a six-fingered alien. And it's possible that something might get in the way performatively, just saying it's out there. It's out there. Yeah. Well, um, all right. There is another moment here that I did want to talk about because I, it's a nice moment that, for me, feels like the first moment where Steve suddenly feels at home. And, uh, you know, Bruce asks, it must be strange for you, all of this. And it's right at a moment, weirdly, where there's like a military, like, uh, a drill instructor running by with a bunch of troops. And I was like, why are they here on this thing? Like, do they still do this outside of uh, yeah, basic training? Sense. It was a little confusing <laughs> to me. Because training, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, okay, I like that at least Steve sees something. Um, to that end, it did make me wonder, again, why have they not involved Steve up to this point when clearly, like, this is the sort of thing that he is so at home in. You know, he feels like he's totally suddenly like, I feel at home. I'm back with the military. All of this feels right. Instead of waiting seven months and just having him pining in his apartment for for Peggy and, you know, riding around on buses and going to boxing gyms. I don't know. Is it any thoughts? I think you kind of hit the nail on the head to to bring it full circle to the beginning of the episode. This is very military. But I think shield isn't military like their first thought is go out there and look like military (laughs) and so (laughs) like the reality is it would be they would gain so much if they hired steve to train their troops like black and white that's that's a win but they look at steve as a military guy and S.H.I.E.L.D. looks at themselves as an espionage-first organization. Those two don't really mix. Okay, that's interesting, because Steve worked for SSR during World War II when they clearly were doing espionage types of things, and so I I would feel like he kind of would be in into that and okay with that? Yeah, 
Maybe, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. If I can't sell you on the very first try, it's not. I can't. I can't. Do it. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> so, I just as as Pete is already uh, you know frustrated with with me in this movie is like I'm just sitting here with a pin, just like what yeah, can I poke pen. a hole into here? Yep. <laughs> yep. No, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, you know, it is a great minute. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't have anything else about this minute. I know you both are dying to talk helicarrier, uh, which we'll get to in tomorrow's minute. So is there anything else? Either of you are going to be hard to breathe a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, the air is so thin. You got it. If you didn't bring your mask, <laughs> uh, I don't have anything else for this minute. Do either of you have any last thoughts? I got nothing. No, I'm good. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. We'll tell everybody about uh, your Twitch stuff and everything else you're up to so that they can go track you down. Yeah, go find me on Twitch, Silver Dreamer, Silver with a Y. Uh, I'm a hobby streamer. I like to build Lego and building blocks and model kits and Gunpla, uh, book nooks as well. Um, on Sundays, uh, we dive into Marvel Comics, uh, check, check them out on stream. Uh, and from time to time, I also play Marvel video games. Um, it's all things Marvel, all things hobby. It's a lot of fun. Oh, this is fantastic. Well, we will have the links for everything in the show notes. If you're not seeing them on your podcatcher, just go to our website, Marvel Movie Minute, and you can get all the links there. That's it for today. Uh, we'll be back with Will to talk about the next minute tomorrow. So, Pete, thanks as always. Secure the decks! <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yapo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.